Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Armand. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, compatibility, uh, testing, and those types of things. Um, so I, iOS 10 just launched, um, and we're about a week into it. And so I think looking, at, it's, it's a time of year that I often kind of um, have to think about my testing strategy uh, spent, well, I guess a week and a day ago, I had to really think about it because whenever a new iOS release comes out, you have your last opportunity to go through your testing devices and work out which ones you want to upgrade. So in this case, to iOS 9, which ones you wanted to leave where they were, uh, because obviously after uh, iOS 10 comes out, it becomes much more awkward or tricky to keep, you know, to, to revert a device back to iOS 9 or do something like that. And so it just seemed like a topic that was worth thinking through and the way we, we approach it because back in the day back in the early days of the app store i used to keep a very comprehensive compatibility suite and i think i'll actually probably have a link in the show notes to an image of it where i used to have an, an ipad running essentially every version of ios that it could have been running and I had the same thing with a device or an iphone uh, or an ipod touch running every version of ios you know, possible. So I think this is going back from like an iOS 2 and iOS 3 and iOS 4 and iOS 5. I used to, you know, keep devices around even once I was past a point where I would uh, not no longer support them anymore. Um, and that's changed a little bit now. I think at this point, it's iOS compatibility has changed, I feel, where A, it used to be that there was only one screen size. And so you know, I had if I had an iPad running running a particular version, and I had an iPhone running a, a particular version, I completely covered all of my possible configurations. Um, whereas now, if I were to actually try and do this, and every now and then, also you'll see like images from companies, I think like Facebook or these big, huge developer development companies, where they actually still have this. But if I wanted to have a, you know, all the different screen sizes, so I would have had to have the the 4s size the 5 size the 6 size the set the or i guess the plus size the ipad non-retina the ipad retina the big <laughs> ipad um it starts to get really complicated because now if i wanted to even keep that for two different versions i suddenly have twice that or if i wanted to keep it for three versions say i wanted to have ios 8 9 and 10 now suddenly i have three you know three times that many devices and that just becomes completely impractical uh, both from a logistical perspective and from a expense perspective you know and so now i for the most part i just have a sacrificial device that i keep running the oldest i think and which at this point for me is usually iOS 9. I don't think I support anything below that on any of my apps. And so I'm just like, you know, if if some user is still running iOS 8 and, you know, contacts me with an issue with something weird in iOS 8, it's kind of like one of those, sorry, I just can't deal with it. But it's still something that I, I think about. And, you know, on my desk, as I'm sitting here, I ha I'm surrounded by iOS devices. I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten iOS devices uh, that in... In, in my line of sight right here. And so it is still something that I do. Um, but I'm curious, what is your approach? How do you kind of manage the um, the number of devices that you want to keep for testing purposes? I don't actually keep that many of them. Like, it, it used to be, I, you know, I used to be like you, where, you know, like like what you're describing, how I would, I would try to keep one, like, on every major version and all the different screen sizes and everything. And I, I realized uh, about a year ago or so, I realized that, it had been a very long time since 
that theoretical email had ever come in about like, hey, you know, this app is crashing on the iPhone 4S when running iOS 7.5. Like that, I know that wasn't a real OS, but oh well. Um, <laughs> I, I know somebody out there would be like, wait a minute. No. <laughs> um, you know, I always thought that I, I needed to keep all these testing devices just in case somebody had a problem and I couldn't reproduce it in the simulator. And the fact is that just hasn't happened in years. I mean, the last time that happened was with Instapaper. It was a very long time ago. Um, and, and the fact is, in general, um, you know, as we move kind of higher level in, in the capabilities, in the programming languages, and especially things like memory uh, on, on these devices, the, the opportunities for those, for like one particular version of, of the iPhone or iPad to be a problem for your app that you need the hardware to reproduce, uh, uh, those opportunities get, get lower and lower every year, basically. Like the chances of that being a problem get lower and lower. Um, with, with one exception, I know our friend James Thompson, who writes PCALC, uh, just had to get a, an iPhone 7 Plus because his his uh, widget was crashing only on the 7 Plus and not on the 7. Uh, so he's been testing with that. But that's the first time I've heard about anybody needing to do that in quite a long time. Uh, because, you know, really these, these devices have, like, so much memory, so much fast performance now, uh, such great CPUs and GPUs and everything, that you really, like, most apps are not going to be pushing the boundaries of either performance or memory and would need would would possibly hit these issues. You know, games might be a different story. Uh, I would imagine games need a lot more testing hardware just because the GPUs matter so much more. You're kind of you're kind of pushing their limits more. Uh, but for for the kind of apps that you and I make and that many of our listeners make uh, that aren't really games and aren't really pushing the boundaries much in in terms of performance or memory, uh, I don't think I don't think you really need that at all. I mean, again, there was a time when you, when we did, but I think that time was a long time ago and. The the issue of of expense really can't be overstated. I mean, Apple has has made nice strides in in reducing the cost of develop of developing. You know, keeping the developer program inexpensive and and making a lot of it free now. And people, you know, people who are just starting out, who are you know maybe maybe they're you know they don't have a lot of money to spend on extra devices or you know testing devices like. Most people, their testing devices are just their own personal devices they had anyway. Um, and by the way, that's me too. I have never bought a testing phone except for the 6 Plus. That was the only one I ever bought. Um, I've never bought a, a, an iPod Touch for testing. And I was like, I know a lot of developers do this. I just never have because like, I just have my current phone and then I, I will have a couple of old phones because I usually don't sell them. So that's obviously, that's, like, that's obviously a luxury right there that I don't, I don't sell my old stuff. But for the most part, I've gotten away with having relatively few test devices and i could have even fewer if i really wanted to um you know i have my main phone i have last year's phone i will occasionally use like my wife's phone or her last year's phone if we still have it which we usually do and uh the only things i really use them for are not really for os's they're they're really for performance because my feeling is if you have if if you have the you know some some like you know one to two year old device it is completely reasonable to require you to run the newest OS in most cases. You know, maybe not necessarily a day after it's released, which we'll get to, but, like, I don't feel like I really need to have hardware to test, like, last year's iPhone on last year's OS. I think having last year's phone is enough, even if it's on the current OS, um, because it isn't that ridiculous to ask customers, hey, you know what, I don't, I can't, I don't really support um, this edge case that you're running into on this two-year-old OS, please update if you can, you know, so that I've in practice, 
having that kind of attitude towards OS versions uh, has been totally fine so for me so far. Obviously, this this could vary it be with your audience, with this, with the kind, of, the kind of people who use your app, uh, with the amount of support you have to give in, in whatever business you have. Um, it's different for for people like consultants where you kind of can't give the middle finger to anybody who's using the app. Like it's kind of your job to make it work, uh, but. For for indie developers selling your own app or making your own app, I'd say you really don't have to have that many devices, and you don't really have to have to worry too much about those edge cases anymore. Yeah, and I think there's certainly something too that the simulator too, I would say, has gotten a lot better and yes. being more cap- and, and is just a much more useful and practical tool for doing a lot of the kind of compatibility work. That obviously there's certain type classes of problems that you can never verify or look at on the simulator you know things that are performance related or memory bound or these types of things or the simulator just does isn't a great tool for that but for things like layout problems um and those types of issues which are honestly like the biggest issues i tend to have going from device to device are layout are layout issues you know where something just doesn't look quite right on it's usually for me it's with you know that i'm going through my development on my uh on my and i guess it's now it's my iphone 7 i keep trying to call it an iphone success but on my iphone 7 now i'll be doing my development it's great and then i'm getting ready to ship it to the app store and i launch it on the like the se simulator or one of the old smaller narrow ones and suddenly all my layouts look terrible and there's all these dot dot dots <laughs> at the end of all my labels because I'm, you know, so used to having all this extra screen real estate. And so, but that kind of testing, you can just totally get by with the simulator because, you know, for layout purposes, it's doing a tremendous job of just, you know, showing it to you. And moreover, you can switch between things so much more quickly and you can set up test databases and things like that really quickly because you have file system access really straightforwardly to, um, you know, to each of the simulator instances. And so you can copy, what I tend to do is I copy the database off my my actual phone, you know, so say I'm working on pedometer plus plus. So I have this huge, you know, step history going back years and years. I just copy the database out and then I can paste it into all the different uh, simulator file systems, launch them all up and make sure they all, you know, lay out and look correct. Um, I mean, the simulator is a great tool and a funny little anecdote. I shipped my first iOS app to the app store. I guess it was an iPhone OS app back then, uh, eight years ago without owning a iPhone. (laughs) <laughs> I had done the all of my development on the simulator and I didn't buy an iPhone because at the time they were expensive and I looked at the like looked at the cost of buying an iPhone and I was like oh man I mean I'm not even sure if this this whole app store thing's going to work out I don't want to you know spend $600 and have this not turn out to go anywhere turns out it did go somewhere and you know i i've I since, <laughs> since bought an iphone or two but you can go a long way with um with just the simulator if that is um you know what what you need to do from a cost perspective or from a capable you know that's just what's available to you like don't feel bad about that that's that's where i started and it worked out just fine yeah exactly i mean and you know people people always ask like you know what kind of mac do i need for developing like is is this macbook or whatever good enough uh, you know, is this going to be, can I develop on this? Do I need testing devices? What, de- what devices do I need? And the answer basically is you can develop on pretty much any Mac, uh, and you don't really need any test devices necessarily, although having one or two helps, but uh, that could just be your own personal devices. Um, and that's like, basically any having anything more than that having like the fastest mac or a bigger screen or having more and more test devices 
those are all luxuries. They're nice to have. They, they might make development easier in certain ways. Like, for example, like one of the reasons I use uh, multiple test devices is I always keep one of them logged in to a, uh, a, an in-app purchase sandbox store account. Because I don't know if this is still a case because I haven't done it in a couple of years. But back in the day, a couple of years back, uh, trying to do sandbox testing of in-app purchases on your main phone, which requires basically like signing out of your App Store account on your phone, signing into a test account, uh, and then trying to make the purchases that way. That was always such a pain. You always see like constant purchase failures and prompts for your for relogging into the store, trying to basically shuffle two different App Store accounts, one of them being a sandbox account on the same device that you're using also for all your other apps. So having a having a separate device, which in my case is an old iPhone 5s uh, that is only used for in-app purchase testing, and you never touch the in-app purchase sandbox on any other device that, on on your main device that you that you use every day, that is really handy. Because you don't want that, just that that complexity, the confusion of like having some apps logged into the sandbox, some apps not logged into the sandbox, the different apps trying to restore purchases from different accounts, and it's, I mean, and, and some people who use multiple Apple IDs or who, or who share one with their spouse or their family, like they've seen a lot of this complexity, so like they, they'll know what I'm talking about here. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it to have in-app purchase stuff. It, it is very nice to have separate devices just for that for that purpose alone um and to do various testing of things like has this has this account been has has this in a purchase account bought the purchase before you know has has this account ever bought it will this account buy it once and have it expire like so having different devices that just makes that stuff faster and easier to test and will keep complexity and crap off your main phone but those are all just luxuries if you only have one iphone or an ipod touch or one ipad you can do quite a lot with just that yeah, and it's it's too. It's it's the thing that I was just recently. I just pulled up. Um, I have a. I maintain a stats page um, of all the stats from one of my apps called Audiobooks, and I was, which I use as my kind of testing for like for statistical purposes, seems the best app for me because it's a very broadly used app uh, in terms of it's not like like a lot of my other apps are fitness related, and so they only work on sorry are they're most used uh by people who have more you know devices that have a motion processor and these kinds of things so i have this app that goes all the way back i mean i have people still using it um with the iphone 3gs i think i still have like active users using it today so <laughs> wow. it goes way way back i think that's fascinating too is how modern and quick Apple has been able to get people to kind of be into the in, into a cycle of up, of updating. So I look I look at these devices. So other than like for what you're saying, we're having these devices for specific uses. Like I have, you know, for example, I still have I have like my five S's are my most precious devices to me right now from a testing pr- pr- perspective because Pedometer Plus Plus, my most important app. Um, could it was first possible on that phone so anything before a 5s which is when they introduced the motion processor um is you know is irrelevant to me but 5s's are really important to me because i expect at least until apple drops you know in whatever if in ios 11 they drop support for the 5s or something like, like until that happens that's where if I, if I can make my app work that's most important but in general, like the thing that's kind of fascinating to me is I, I one of the stats I keep is on the is the average device age, um, and right now I'm seeing that the average device age for iOS is or for iPhones is about 850 days, 
Um, and so at device mm-hmm. ages, you know, time since that device was released, you know, so the iPhone 7's device age would be like a week right now. Um, but, you know, if, if you go back, it's only about, um, you know, two or three years is sort of the average device age, which is not too bad. And the majority of my use is coming from iPhone 6s, iPhone 5s, 6s, 6 plus, and uh yeah, like that is, it's to do the quick math in my head. That's a good 60% of my users um, is using just those devices. And so people are, ten, you know, it's like, it's the, the, the delightful thing that while the iPhone was successful early on, um, there's just not as many of those old devices still in use, that there's just not as many 4Ss um, or 5s or 5Cs and those kinds of devices. Like there's the natural process of an iPhone um, is that it gets replaced on a regular basis. Like for, you know, for better or worse, and maybe this will change as you know go forward. We hear all these things where people are, oh, maybe I'll skip this. You know, maybe it's going from a two-year cycle to a three-year cycle. Who knows? But the reality is there's, you know, I, I kind of feel bad when I think of like the poor Mac developers um, where, you know, a lot of Macs have are still in use that were, you know, sold, you know, almost a decade ago um, because that's just the nature of Mac hardware is that it has a, this different, not, you know, it's, it's, it's less consumable. And so maybe, you know, t- device testing there is more tricky, but for us in iOS land, um, you know, you really don't need that much to stay, to cover the vast majority of your users. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel too bad about the Mac people as they can charge like 50 bucks for software and have no app store review requirement. Uh, but there you go. They can, <laughs> they can afford those old testing yes. devices. No, although, although, honestly, it is, you know, having a whole bunch of old Macs around is definitely a lot more uh, expensive and clunky than, than having a drawer full of old iPhones. Uh, yeah. but, but no, I mean, like, also, I think you have to consider, like, as an, as an indie developer, like, basically, once you have more users than time, which, if your app gets any kind of traction, that will quickly happen, you kind of have to be okay with saying sorry, uh, you know, this might not work on really old phones or really old OSs. Like, you, you, you have to kind of accept that. You, will, you, you might get an email or a tweet from somebody who says, hey, this is broken on my iPhone 4S, and you'll, you'll have to say, I'm sorry, like, I just can't, I can't put the time into making this work, or I don't have the resources to make this work, or I don't even have a 4S anymore that will power on to test that. And so you have to be okay to say, like, to one percent of your customers out there, I'm sorry, I can't support this. Yeah, and I think it because it feels too. I think I, it's definitely a trap that I think I can fall into. Where as an engineer, I see it when if there's a problem that I think I'm capable of solving. Um, so in this case, if someone says your app doesn't work on an iPhone 4s, it's like in my mind, if I had in my possession a 4s, I could solve that. And so it's like this solvable but unsolved <laughs> problem is the worst, like most insidious kind of problem. That if a user comes to me and says, oh, I'm having this weird bug that happens, but it's only when I'm in this situation, but it doesn't happen all the time. And it seems like maybe it's when I'm switching Wi-Fi from work to home, but I'm not sure it doesn't happen. You know, those kinds of bugs, I can very much more easily just put down and say, you know what, I'm, I can't help you. You know, this is going to take hours and hours of my time, and I may or may not even be able to get you a solution at the end of that. But if it seems like it's just a device compatibility problem, there is such this, this you know, there's that insidiousness of just being like, oh, yeah, I could totally do that if I, if I just had a device, if I just had a device. And so, yeah, like you said, you have to get comfortable with saying there's only so much you can do. And it's the weird sort of like 
it, it is a strange feeling. I think we'll get into this more if we start to talk about iOS uh, adoption, where being okay with saying a, you know, the, the the needs of the many for your users outweigh the needs of the few. Where if you can make the experience for 80, 90, 95% of your users really good, you're probably doing that at the expense of a smaller proportion of your users. And you just have to be okay with that. Because if you aren't, you're just going to go crazy. Well, and, you know, not only is that like, not only is that the kind of thing that you should be acceptable, you know, with, like, like you should be able to accept that, that you might not do it for everybody. But also, that is what you, sh- that like, you actually should be doing that like strategically and and time allocation wise too. Like it is it is it's not only that you should avoid feeling bad about not solving the one percent needs. It's that solving the one percent needs are actually a bad use of your time. Like you, you should be whatever time you would have spent on that, you should probably spend making the rest of your app better for everybody. Yeah, it's a classic thing of what is it the the perfect is the enemy of the good or. It's like those kinds of things where if you focus too much on trying to be 100%, you'll never actually get anywhere. <laughs> what a fantastic phrase to just kind of approximate. Okay, you know, it's <laughs> good enough. We are sponsored this week by our friends at Linode. Go to linode.com slash radar for $20 towards any Linode plan. Linode is an awesome web host that both David and I use. Oh, it's so good. So they're a VPS host. So you get virtual private servers. There are these nice little cloud instances, which is the new name for VPSs. New being 10 years old, but that's me. I'm old. Um, it is such such a great host. So they have incredibly high performance SSD-based, and these are like enterprise-grade SSD, all these high-end Linux servers. Uh, they have powerful Intel Xeon E5 processors. These are the facets available in the cloud market, and they have a 40 gigabit network backing them with multiple levels of redundancy. They also have an API that makes it really, really easy to automate tasks if you want to spin up more instances, uh, if you want to develop custom applications that, that use the API to do cool things. I use their API for a bunch of little utility things. I have some scripts if I want to generate new web servers. I have things that can like that can use the API to get a list of all my servers for things like monitoring applications. Uh, if you look around the industry, what you get at Linode for the price, not only does it beat other cloud vendors that I've that I've seen, it beats dedicated hosts. Like it, it it's really impressive what they can offer for the price. Their pricing all offers uh, hourly or monthly billing. Uh, if you if you're using hourly but you run into the amount that would have been for the whole month, they just charge you the monthly rate. You don't get you don't get pushed over, so you don't have to worry, like, which one do I pick up front? Go to linode.com slash radar. It's kind of spelled like Linux, linode. Uh, linode.com slash radar uh, to support us, and you get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. Once again, linode.com slash radar to take advantage of that $20 credit or use promo code radar20 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting this show. All right. So for the rest of uh, I think of today's episode, it seemed like we also just wanted to briefly touch on something that is always comes up this time of year when we start uh, and a new big iOS release comes out is adoption. And you know, so at this point, I'm seeing about a week into iOS 10 being in the world, I'm seeing about 30% adoption um, for most of my apps. I think it's a little bit higher in a few of them, depending on how you know how modern of a app it is. Um, but overall that's very encouraging. And obviously this is, you know, it's easy to kind of poke, you know, sort of poke our finger at other, other platforms where they don't have quite the same adoption, but this kind of approach that Apple has been able to kind of, in some ways, honestly, a little bit overly aggressively push their new OSs. Like every time I, one comes out and it's like, would you like to do it now or later? You say later. And it's like, are you sure? (laughs) 
are you how sure are you that you want to do this later? Are you going to come back? Are you are you lying to me? It gets a little aggressive about it. But yeah. either way, try setting up a phone without a passcode. Yeah. Are you, <laughs> how sure aggressive. are you? You don't want a pass passcode. Um, but anyway, so we get these. You know, the result, net result of all of that, and you know, I'm sure it's all these fun new things in my message, and there's lots of reasons that people about push people to update, and the result is it's very quickly. I think you we can start, you know, you start to think about when you can drop support for older OSs, and it's probably worth mentioning. I think dropping OS support for older OSs, like there's a bit of a philosophical question there that I, I've definitely talked to developers who, it's like in their mind they want that you know just dropping support for its own purpose is kind of philosophically doesn't work for them where they want to you know it's like if i can make it work why shouldn't i whereas i tend to i think come at it from the other side of that and my goal is to streamline and simplify as much as i can that even if theoretically i could support the old version there's not like this breaking feature that makes it so that i can't if it makes my life easier it's going to make the app better because i'm going to be able to do more i'm going to spend my time on things that are pushing my app forward rather than on making sure that it still works behind me um, and so for me i tend to drop it fairly aggressively like i currently for most of my apps i support ios 9 and 10 um, and then i will likely drop ios 9 probably the end of the year uh, beginning of next year something like that so probably within th- you know three to four months of ios 10 coming out it'll be ios 10 only and that might be a little aggressive, but for me, I found that that worked. That's basically what I did for iOS 9, and it worked fine. The majority of my users will be on running the main OS at that point. And in a weird way, I think the users who won't be, the people who are falling behind, usually are doing it for a particular reason and are going to be used to, at this point, things not working for them or things not being updated for them. Um, and it's also probably worth keeping in mind that it's if, if I support only iOS 10, it's not like I'm taking it off their device. They still can run what you know whatever the last compatible version was. Um, and I really appreciate that in the App Store, um, it if they go into the purchased area and hit download, it'll say you know the most recent version of this app isn't compatible with your current device. Would you like to get the last compatible version? And it downloads it for you, which is a very good user experience that I never have to feel like oh you know someone paid me this paid me for this app. I don't want to take it away from them. You know, and so I can just drop support as quickly as I can and then move move on. And I, you know, my code isn't riddled with all these weird, you know, if platform version this, then do this. If platform version this, then do that. Um, and in general, that probably makes my current version, my main version, like the flagship version of my app that I'm really focused on and putting my attention on better and more reliable because I'm not having all these weird hacks and ifs into things. And I can adopt new new approaches to things more quickly and more aggressively um than i could otherwise yeah i mean it's i I think it's especially important for indie developers like us to to really aggressively adopt the new stuff for that reason because we really need any productivity help we can get from the platform from the new sdks from the new apis so if apple releases something that makes certain tasks a lot easier that makes them require less code maybe maybe you had to do something manually before with a whole bunch of hacky code and now you can get rid of all that code and stop maintaining it and stop debugging it and everything Um, because like anything they do to make our jobs easier we need to jump on because we are only single or small teams uh working against competition in an environment where there's lots of very like engineering heavy organizations that can pump lots of resources at, at the same problems that we try to solve so like we we need to basically multiply our productivity by whatever means necessary so if ios 10 comes out and it has 
a big new API that makes like handling all of your interfaces way easier, or all of your networking or whatever, you know, whatever it is that changes, jump on that. And, you know, for new apps, I'd say making a new app, even if you even if you're releasing a brand new app on day one of a new OS, just require that new OS. Uh, and, and as you said, for older apps, you know, for existing apps, rather, when you release a new version, you, you know, you, you, you're only requiring the new version of the OS for updates of your apps and people can still use those old, ver- those old versions. So it kind of solves the problem for us. Like for me, I would say it is very safe for pretty much any indie app to require the newest OS only within maybe a month of the new OS's release. And and again, for for brand new apps, just required on day one, you'll save yourself a lot of headaches. Um, but even, yeah, even existing apps like within a month is totally fine. Uh, I'm I'm working on Overcast 3.0. It's probably going to be out in a couple of months, and the, of course, it's going to require iOS 10 because why wouldn't it? Like there's there's no there's no reason that I would need to support old OSs that is more compelling than the aforementioned, as you said, the the advantages in keeping my code clean, free of like multiple code paths for different OS versions uh, and being able to use all the newest stuff in all the best ways, like all natively, uh, you know, no backwards compatibility hacks necessary. Like there's no gain in supporting old OSs that's better than that for indies. Yeah, and I think it's also, and the only reason that anyone ever sort of typically comes back with is like, well, if 10% of my sales are on the old version, then I'm giving up 10% of my sales. Um, and I, while everyone's mileage may vary, I can say for, in my experience, when I say no to the, that 10% of, of sales, I almost always make up for it in, in new platform sales and by making the app, because it makes the app better and it's don't get stuck on that. Oh no, I'm going to lose 10% and that 10% is important. It's like, no, focus on making the app forward and better and better because that 10% is just going to keep shrinking. And you're, you're putting effort after something that necessarily isn't going to get any better, better or bigger for you. Exactly. Like the upside is severely limited. Whereas on iOS 10, in this case, your upside is not limited. It can just keep growing. And so focus on that thing. Don't focus on the thing that's going away. And don't skate to where the puck literally has already been and is leaving. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. We're out of time this week, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.